This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. Welcome to the Best Friends Podcast. My name is John Dunn. Today is October the 28th. The last couple of episodes, I mentioned the period to submit your speaking proposals for the 2022 Best Friends National Conference is now open, and it will be open through November 19th. So what time better than now to share the first in a series of some of the best sessions from the 2021 conference? Like so many others, this year's conference was the first ever virtual Best Friends National Conference, and the format was different than what you may have been used to with any conference. Most of the sessions were under a half hour. They were all amazing. I think all told, there were over a hundred. So many great speakers sharing so much great information. Now, before I tell you about the session for this episode, check out the website, bestfriends.org podcast, or you can go to the show notes in the podcast app you are using right now, and you will see a link that has all of the information you need to get your session ideas submitted before that November 19th deadline. The 2022 conference next year will, keep your fingers crossed, be in person in Raleigh, North Carolina in July. Again, just check out the episode show notes for the link or go to the website, bestfriends.org podcast. Click the link there for episode 85 and you'll find the information you need. Now for today, we are going to be hearing from two best friend speakers about partnerships, building those relationships in your community that you need in order to save as many lives as you can. Hi, my name is Elise Sukayama. Thank you all for being here. I've been with Best Friends for almost eight years now, which sounds crazy. Uh, my current role with Best Friends is I'm the Pacific Regional Strategist. If you're a network partner in the region, we may have already met. Um, if not, I hope that we get to meet soon. Prior to this position, I worked in various roles uh, with our life-saving centers in Los Angeles. And a bulk of that time uh, was with our admissions team who would manage all of the relationships relationships with the shelters um, and also handle the daily the daily intake for both of our adoption centers at the time. Um, I'm also the director of external operations for our network partner, uh, Angel City Pitfalls. And that just means that I help volunteer with a wonderful group of people uh, to handle their adoptions and oversee their alumni. Awesome. Hi, everyone. My name is Kaylee Hawkins. I'm the Pacific Regional Director with Best Friends Animal Society. I've been with Best Friends for just about 10 years now. And during that time, I've been able to help both shelters and rescue groups leverage their relationships to maximize their life saving. Uh, the bulk of that time was in Los Angeles, where I helped oversee our shelter operations and our teams, including the admissions team that I mentioned. And uh, I'm now working with shelter and rescue partners across five states. During the presentation, the bulk of the examples Elise and I are going to share are from our work and experience in Los Angeles, but they apply to communities across the nation. So let's go ahead and get started. Uh, so our goals for today's session, um, pretty simple. It's just to help give some tips on communication and building or uplift, up, uplifting your relationship with your shelter partners. Um, we also want to take a look at when to analyze internal pivoting. Um, and also explore some creative ways to collaborate with your local partners um, outside of the traditional role of just pulling animals. 
So if you're making touch points with the shelter for the first time, it's important to get a few things straight before going. Um, who are your main points of contact? Ask if it's possible to get a walkthrough of the facility um, with the shelter staff. It's really important to know the do's and don'ts and the safety protocols of each area in the shelter. And doing this exercise with alongside the staff is a really um, cool way to get to know the staff get to know what they need help with um, while you're learning what where you're supposed to be and what areas you're allowed to be in. Um, and it's also a good overview of the other populations in the shelter uh, that might need help as well. Um, it's important to know the staff's schedule and their preferred method of contact as well. Um, establish when and how it's best to communicate to them. If you're supposed to be communicating with a coordinator or the supervisor, identify that staff person um, and be able to provide that for your staff as well. Um, so this expectation definitely uh, goes both ways. Uh, one, one example that we did on our team um, was we created a contact card um, for our team and we provided that to all the supervisors and coordinators that we that were our points of contact. Um, and what that contact card had was our team names, our responsibilities, um, our phone numbers, emails, when we were working, like our days off. Um, so the staff always knew when and how it was best to contact us um, so that there was no hiccups in communication. They knew exactly when when and who to contact. Um, the other thing that we did was we gave them a program overview of what populations we could pull and what our capacity was. Um, for example, before we went to a shelter for a scheduled time, if we only had capacity for three large breed dogs because, you know, maybe a bunch of our fosters were on vacation, we would let them know. So before showing up, they would have that expectation that, hey, because our, you know, our foster um, base is a little thin right now, we're only going to be able to pull three dogs. And that was understood. Um, and so next time we could, you know, figure out if maybe there was an opportunity to pull more in the future. Um, but at least they knew and the expectations were set appropriately. Another really cool thing that we did um, was implementing new technology. Uh, one thing that we introduced to not just the our communication directly with the shelter, but also to the coalition was we implemented something called Slack. Slack is an application that a lot of businesses use for their own internal communication, and you can either have it on a desktop version, it's compatible with both iPhone and Android, and so you can have it an app on your phone. So we created the Kitty Committee, and what this did was it allowed the shelters to post in real time uh, underage kittens that were in need, and everyone in the Kitty Committee were groups that were very beneficial and regularly able to help underage kittens. Um, so this, the shelter would post the litter, all of their information, maybe a photo or two, and then the groups could speak for those uh, litters of kittens in real time. And what we saw as a result of that was not only um, cutting down on the staff hours for the shelters of having to send out email blasts and respond one by one to all of those inquiries, but also um, we saw more collaboration within the groups as well, which was a really beautiful thing that I don't think we realized was gonna happen. Um, so a group might've had capacity for the litter, but said, hey, I, I can take them, I have a foster, but I don't have transportation. And then another group would be able to chime in and say, we have transporters. So um, it really encouraged everybody to kind of work together. Um, so don't be afraid to try new technology as well um, in your communication streams. 
Another area that we really strongly encourage our rescue partners to dive into is really understanding the data points of the shelters that they work with. And when I started with Best Friends 10 years ago, it was really common for shelters nationwide to adopt the mantra that any kennel open is a life save. And while that rings true, we were starting to see as life-saving progression was happening and increasing at a rapid speed, that there was still a stagnant population of animals where our save rate was plateauing. We were really struggling to understand why. And so I had to really shift my philosophy from the idea of every kennel open is a life save to changing our pulling methodology to preventing the death of animals that are the most at risk in LA city shelters. And so some ways that we did that was we sat down and we analyzed the data. We really looked at what animals are coming in that are not finding a life-saving outcome and what programs as best friends or our NKLA partners have the abilities and facilities to help save those animals. Uh, if an animal was at the adoption centers of LA Animal Services, and we knew that they had an opportunity to potentially be saved through adoption or foster of LA Animal Services supporters, we wanted to embrace that and encourage that to happen. Helping with shelter sustainability is a big driver for best friends and should be with all of us in our rescue capacities, knowing that we want to all prevent the death of animals. So when we shifted to this mindset of preventing the death of animals in their care, really cool programs came out of it. We were able to launch ringworm foster programming. We increased our ability to help working cats. And in the working cat program, we actually saw one out of every three cat was just a really mad house cat. And it wasn't a semi-fractious or feral cat. We were able to help behaviorally work with it through foster and behavior work and then send it to an in-home adoption. Uh, all of these types of methods were all analyzed and only available to us because we took a minute to look at the data. So as you're building your relationships with your shelter, try to sit down with them and look over really key metrics like length of stay, what populations are coming in and what positive outcomes are happening, what positive outcomes aren't happening. Maybe there's a niche that you think that you can fill. Um, for breed-specific rescues and for rescues that have a really specific mission, one of the most common questions that we get is, how do I then make that pivot if I'm focused on breed or have a very specific mission? Maybe your board of directors finds it challenging. Maybe uh, your staff might find that, that mental shift challenging. And we have two really cool tips. One is the and friends model. So we had a partner in NKLA called Labs and Friends that specialized in Labrador Retriever type dogs. And as life saving continued to catapult over the decade during the NKLA initiative, we were seeing a lot more friends come into their program than actual Labrador Retrievers. And that's because the public was coming to the shelters to adopt or foster those animals. And they were able to shift their efforts with all the resources that they had in excess to outcoming animals that needed that support in foster homes behavior modification, all the areas that their board and their staff and their volunteer base felt comfortable promoting and working toward. Uh, another area that we really strongly encourage is if there's a lot of reservations about making these changes, try it as a pilot project. Uh, we know pilot projects really do catapult life-saving and it gets people comfortable because they don't feel like it's going to be an ingrained part of their identity to make the shift so drastically. It helps you with buy-in. And another really key reason is if you're really moving toward the idea of preventing the death of population of animals at your shelters that are not being saved right now, grant funding in the animal world would love to fund programs like that. So that's a really, really fundable idea to take on a new population of animals to really help you save costs with the startup of those types of programs. 
So I want to jump into two examples of agencies and organizations that made a mission pivot, pivot really thoughtfully, and they were able to do this in a way that worked for both them and also increased life-saving in their shelter. And these are both two NKLA partners who Elise and I both really love and respect, and so we're really excited to highlight their examples. So in the city of Los Angeles, Underage kittens, by far and large, were coming in at the most increased rate that we had ever seen uh, animals coming into the shelter year over year. We were seeing about 10 to 15 percent increase in their intake year over year from 2015 to now. And so we had really fantastic rescue groups who had kitten nurseries and kitten foster programs that were already saving thousands of kittens annually. And we were just struggling to continue to pull together those resources to make up for that new percentage of kittens that were coming in. And so we put an SOS out to the NKLA Coalition. One of the first organizations to raise their hand was Angel City Pitbulls, which to me was jaw dropping because they are by far and large working with the hardest to save population in LA City, which is our pitbull type dogs that are in access and available in our shelters here and across the nation. So they already have their work cut out for them and they already are working at their most maximum capacity. But uh, Katie Larkin and the leadership team there went back to their group and said, we want to help problem solve for this. Let's figure out what piece of the puzzle we can play. And so the Pit and Foster program was launched. And the resources that Angel City had was they have a really robust and fantastic group of foster homes. And those foster homes knew that even if they were fostering pit bull type dogs, they could still foster underage kittens and keep them separated. And then, you know, just a two for one foster program for them, some dogs and some cats. Uh, but they knew that they didn't want to handle the placement piece. And so where we came in was we looked for opportunities for them to help foster kittens in their program, but then shift the actual outcoming responsibilities to another agency, which Best Friends has fulfilled, and they found other out outcomes through transfers as well. Uh, in 2020, which we know is historically a super low year for shelter intake across the nation, they were still able to foster more than 250 kittens in their program. One of the other partners I want to highlight is the Spay and Neuter Project of Los Angeles. So they're providing large amounts of high volume spay and neuter wellness and vaccine services to various communities across Los Angeles. But when we put out that call for help, they knew that they had that niche of being able to have the medical expertise and staffing already built into their programming. So they applied and were able to secure funding for kitten, uh, kitten nursery and kitten foster programming. Uh, between both Angel City Pitbulls and SNP LA, we have seen thousands more kittens have their lives saved that we didn't have a solution or a positive outcome for. So making those really methodical pivots has been absolutely vital to Los Angeles hitting no-kill in 2020. In addition to pulling animals, there's so many other ways that we can partner. Um, Life-saving in shelters is not just about, you know, transferring them to rescue groups anymore, which is such a beautiful thing. Um, In-house life-saving programs are becoming really robust, and so finding ways within your own programming um, on how to support that will help with the sustainability of those programs. Uh, so become a volunteer at the shelter, um, offer to sponsor supplies for their foster programs or for their, you know, adoptions, you know, can you donate um, a bunch of cat carriers or leashes so that the dogs all go home with leashes? Uh, really think outside of the box of, you know, ways that you can help support their programs. Um, simply ask the supervisor, what do they need? And they would, I'm, 100%, they would be more than happy to, you know, give you that feedback. And I'm sure that you guys can work together once you open up that conversation 
work together and finding those areas that you can support them. Um, one cool thing that our team did uh, was that we signed up to be playgroup volunteers. So we went through the shelter specific playgroup training. Um, so there were some days that we didn't have the capacity to pull dogs for the day, but we would still show up because that was our scheduled day to show up. And so the staff, we would let them know, hey, we're coming, but we can't pull dogs today. I'm so sorry, but we're still gonna come help you with playgroups. Um, so we would get the dogs out. Dogs would be in the yard so the staff could, you know, clean a bunch of kennels while the dogs were out in the yard. Um, and also the dogs were re receiving enrichment. Um, the benefits of that that we also saw for us was that we were able to interact directly with the dogs that we could potentially pull next week or the week after. However, what we found is that a lot of times we didn't have to because the staff was collecting those positive notes on the dogs to be able to you know, pitch them to potential adopters that were walking straight through their stores. So one of the fun things for my team was being able to come back the next week and seeing the dogs that we had interacted with the week before um, had already gotten adopted to wonderful homes directly through the shelter. So we were able to save, you know, help rescue the next dog. I love that example, at least. Yeah. I know, it was so much fun. <laughs> so some other ways that you can tackle um, supporting your animal shelters is promoting them through social media. So we know that animal welfare agencies across the nation, we all have really fantastic social media followings and sharing really positive stories or sharing animals in need of finding placement that maybe your organization can't focus on saving in that moment. These examples will be shared, right? We're at capacity this week, but giving them the alternative solution of saying, but I'm gonna share that animal on our social media channels. Maybe a foster or adopter will come directly to you or maybe someone will step up for us. It's a win-win situation. You're still maximizing the messaging of saving lives and doing it in a way that'll benefit an animal that directly needs that help. A couple other ways that we really encourage you to think outside the box is figuring out what types of services you can offer in conjunction to the shelter. In Los Angeles, we have a really cool setup in all of our city shelters where there are so many animal welfare supporting agencies that are doing amazing work at the ground level at the shelter every day. Elise gave the example that she helped is sign up as a volunteer to help with playgroups, which is a really cool example. We have some other agencies that will do really primitive um, shelter intervention programming. So it might be something as focused as only focused on underage kittens and looking for ways to intervene on underage kittens in the moment to sign those individuals up as fosters to send them home. It's called our Safe at Home program and it happens here in Los Angeles and we've modeled it after examples all the way as far as out as Philly. There's other really cool ways that you can consider supporting the shelter agencies, donating um, food so they can supply food banks, um, and working with them just on ways to maximize life saving. Uh, the last opportunity is advocating at the stakeholder level. And so if you're working with a government agency, they likely report into a city council or a board of supervisors. If you're working with a private nonprofit with government contracts, they probably have a really robust board of directors and they also have sheltering, they also have communities that their shelter services. And so by going to city council meetings or stakeholder meetings to share positive news about your sheltering partner, to be there when there's items on the agenda to show support for, to thank your local city council or board of supervisors for making animal welfare a priority. These are all really great ways to build relationships and leverage your partners. Animal services by far and large is probably one of the smaller supported pieces of government. So being there to be a, a voice and a friendly voice is vital to an agency's success. So one really, this is a really great capstone way to kind of roll everything together that we've talked about. This is a, a 
perfect example of when multiple rescue groups and a sheltering agency work together, that magic can really happen. So a couple years back, one of the New Hope coordinators for only one of the six locations uh, of our LA City Shelter System wanted to do a short-term foster program just after the 4th of July. As we all know, during the 4th of July and fireworks season, we see an uptick in stray intakes and that gives the shelters a situation where they have to make time and space considerations, even though those animals are likely to be reclaimed. And so by focusing on creating a short-term foster program, the, count, the city was really able to see a maximizing in their life saving. So the first year, the city just did a pilot project. They did it in one shelter and a lot of volunteers and supporting rescue groups supported them in any way that they could. The following year, it expanded to all six city shelter system locations and rescue groups were starting to essentially adopt a shelter to go help. And so you see here in this photo, Angel City Pitbulls volunteers had adopted the South LA Chesterfield Square location. And by adopting them, they not only served as just extra hands on the ground to make it a really positive experience for the visitors um, by serving as air traffic control, answering basic questions, but Angel City also dug in and pulled together a ton of supplies and resources to make sure that those foster homes were going home with the maximum amount of supplies that they needed to be set up for success during the short-term foster. Uh, what was one of the really cool things about this program, similar to what Elise said about playgroups, is by seeing all these animals go into foster homes, rescue groups were also being able to get notes and, and leverage in-home information from these foster homes and pull those animals directly from foster homes if they weren't already adopted by the new fosters themselves. Uh, the last year that this happened was 2019 because 2020 we had COVID restrictions and challenges in place. Uh, we saw 550 animals system-wide go into adoption in foster homes just during those four days. And a lot of that is due to the success of this really robust partnership. A second piece that came out of this was we knew driving people to the shelters to get microchip scans during the 4th of July fireworks season was not the only way that we could have, was not the only solution. And so we knew that there was a way to su provide support. And so Pause for Life spearheaded this idea where they would set up microchip locations, uh, little satellite stations across the city because our shelter system is so large and having six city shelter system buildings, you're still pretty far away from one. So this put a microchip scanning station closer to you most likely. And you were able to go there, get your, your chip scanned. And then there was a team of volunteers working behind the scenes. So those animals didn't even have to touch the shelter system. So we were clearing space before 4th of July and trying to intervene to prevent animals from going in. It was a win-win. Last version of win-win, and this is something that we love and this is something Best Friends stands for, is really thinking, being thankful, appreciative, and highlighting your partners in a positive capacity. And so here we've been able to pull some examples of not only rescues thinking a shelter for the life-saving work that they do and saving that animal and working with that animal until that rescue group was able to come work with it, but also shelters thanking their rescue partners for the work that they're doing by having really thoughtful and appreciative messaging put out into the universe, it shows to our general public that we support each other and that animal welfare is not divisive, that we actually are all working together towards the same goal. And it gives us an opportunity to continue to share positive messaging and build all of our collective supportive bases. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you gained a few basic takeaways to implement in your partnerships. Um, remember, open, transparent communication and flexibility within your own programming, it'll just help for a long lasting partnership.
The team behind this program, Tawny Hammond, Amy Charlton, Bethany Hines, Kayla Sebo, Whitney Blyton, and Mark Peralta. My name is John Dunn, and this is the Best Friends Podcast.